Hello there. I hope everyone who is kind enough to be catching my voice this week is doing well. I am your host. You know what? I'm just going to call myself Melvin this week because I need to tell you guys about the lamest thing on the planet that I am excited about. My love of coffee has been very well documented. I literally have tattoos on my body about how important coffee is in my life. I got a milk frother this week. And I know how pathetic that might sound, but you can forget about writing checks to Greenpeace, investing in Amnesty International, or caring about the Ukraine. Get yourself a milk frother, and you are going to have balance and direction finding its way back into your life. You guys, this might be the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am including my marriage in this. I am including every promotion I've ever gotten, my trip to Europe, seeing my favorite band in concert. Those are all second place now. And I should not be this excited. I'm aware how sad it is. This is like the whitest thing I have ever talked about, this side of the phrase, keep the change. But I can never go back. It's like getting a king-size bed. That's it. You can't go back to a queen. I can't go back to regular milk. This is something that I like to call medium pimpin', which is the normal version of shit I imagine Jay-Z does. I can picture Hove right now flying from New York to LA in four hours drinking Dom P with a handful of Beyonce leg meat. That is big pimpin'. Meanwhile, you can catch me laying on my king-size bed with my Calvin Klein blanket watching the rehearsal and drinking an iced coffee with oat milk frothed into fucking oblivion. That is some medium pimping for your ass, all right? Unfortunately, this whole intro is not a paid advertisement for milk frothers, but if somebody knows anyone who is in the milk frother business or someone in the milk frother business is listening, please pay me. I am for sale. For real though, my coffee looks like a fucking Guinness. It is delicious, it is beautiful, and I have some with me right now because of course I do. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I want to start off with a story that got sent to me about a fellow who calls himself the Coffin Confessor. He is a private investigator from Queensland, Australia, as opposed to fucking Queensland, Delaware. If you don't know where Queensland is, go buy a globe and enjoy your Coors Light. So (laughs) don't get mad at me, Coors Light drinkers. I'm just giving you a little bit of a light roast. I don't have time to thumb through a bunch of misspelled DMs about don't make fun of this beer because it is fresh and delicious and tastes like it was canned in the middle of the Rockies. You need to understand I'm having a little bit of fun and it is just a joke, okay? So take it at face value and try not to flick any more cigarette ashes on your kids. Funerals are normally the ultimate Irish goodbye. Not in this case. There is a private investigator in Queensland, Australia, who did some work for a client who he realized was terminally ill. So he talked to the client and 
and they both came clean with each other and the client admitted that he was dying. He asked the investigator to read a letter at his funeral because the client who was dying found out that his best friend had been hitting on his wife while he was sick. So the client uh, had the investigator read this letter during a particularly quiet moment to everybody that was in attendance about what a piece of shit his best friend is and for good measure he threw in how much he resents his brother for not talking to him for 30 years and then just showing up at his funeral so this guy stands up reads the letter puts it on the deceased's coffin and then just pimps out of the room someone who was at that funeral tracks this guy down and hires him again to read a letter from the dead person at another funeral i guess the second one was reading a letter from a woman who was in love with her best friend so he did that as well in the same style and then he did another one and then he did another i am so sorry to say that the first thing that entered my mind after i finished this story was I have spent my whole life being an asshole for free. Why have I not charged people to do this? If this guy can charge people, which he did, to read these letters, how could I not monetize the shit out of my talent and make a fortune? So this is my pitch for a company that I want to start. I will, for a nominal fee, be an asshole to anyone you want on your behalf at any point. I have had some very difficult and ridiculous conversations in my life. I once broke up with a girl on her birthday. I once had to tell a girl that I was seeing who wanted to be exclusive that not only was I seeing another girl, but through a very unique set of circumstances that were probably very well within my control that the other girl that I was also seeing may have been her sister. I have gone through some doozies. Any kind of conversation that you would want me to have with a stranger would be easy work. Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com if you want to hire me. Apparently, for the Coffin Confessor, one of the most fun funerals he ever read a letter for was a biker who had cancer and came out as gay to all of his family and friends after a life in the closet. Uh, and the one he said was the most weird that did not go well was a guy who died that was an atheist and the deceased, he knew that his religious parents were going to have a super religious funeral. So he hired the guy to stand up in the middle of the eulogy to read a letter chastising his parents for making the funeral religious and talk about how there is no god that sounds like a party i am surprised this guy hasn't been killed he has said that he's been threatened multiple times and i absolutely believe it i love this story so much you guys if you have a kick-ass story that you find interesting and you want me to take a look at it you want me to read it and talk about it on here please shoot it over to me atomic skull podcast at gmail.com or send it on instagram at atomic skull podcast i will read the shit out of that and totally break it down in an episode so i want to get to the best and worst of the week the 
best of the week. I got a Marvel Ho alert for you right now. The best of the week is the I Am Groot shorts on Disney+. Plus. I was having an awful week this last week. And I watched these little five-minute shits, and they made me feel so much better. I smiled. I giggled. I laughed. I absolutely love them. That is why we pay Disney Plus the big bucks, you guys. Disney Plus announced this week that they're hiking up their prices, which is very on brand for Disney. When they first announced, when when Disney Plus like first were coming out and they announced their like insanely cheap monthly price, which is like seven bucks or whatever, it was unbelievable. As in, I literally didn't fucking believed it. I called on day one prices were going up and it is definitely going to happen again this is not the last time the prices for disney plus are going to go up disney are fucking drug dealers playing the long game the drug they're dealing is nostalgia joy reminders of our youth all of the things that make us forget about how shitty the world around us is and that's what drugs are drugs are literally an escape from our lives I don't care whether it's heroin or meth or sex or gambling or booze. They they are a vacation from our reality, from our brains. And the first taste is always the cheapest. Once they get you hooked, you will pay whatever it is you need to pay. And Disney has created so many ways for us to escape in our homes, at the movies, at their theme parks, on their cruise ships and just like any other drug out there it fucking works it's effective and that's why all of us including myself are going to continue to give them what they want because they are giving us what we want and so many people are getting mad about having to pay more money but if you notice nobody really opts out about paying money it's kind of like all the gas prices I know they went up. I was just as pissed about it as you are, but we need them. We need to pay gas and we need to pay Disney. We do have a choice, not partake in all that Disney shit anymore, but nobody is going to do that. We are hooked. There is nothing we can do. Just embrace it. What is it? 10 bucks, whatever it is. It's not the worst thing in the world. That's not even two coffees. You guys are going to be fine. For the worst of the week, I am so tired of Tommy Lee's penis. Let me explain. Earlier this week, Tommy Lee, the drummer from Motley Crue, accidentally uploaded his fucking a picture of his dick on his Instagram story. I get it. His dick is as big as his coke problem. I have seen it. I have seen him drive a boat with it. Let me give you a little background on that. So way, way back in the late 90s or whatever, Tommy Lee was dating Pamela Anderson. They were like the, the big, you know, hot couple. It was the, the rock drummer dating the model from Baywatch. If you don't know what Baywatch is, I don't really want to get into it. I never watched it. Google it. And there was a point where I guess they filmed themselves having sex and they put the tape in a vault somewhere and one of their friends or something stole it and sold it to whatever the version of TMZ was back then and they kind of released it. In the video, one of the things that Tommy does, they're on a boat. One of the things that Tommy does 
is he literally is driving the boat with his dick. Nothing says hepatitis C like, hey, baby, come film me driving the boat with my dick. It was stupid. But at the same time, I laugh my ass off. I get the appeal of filming yourself fucking. I understand that when you're in the moment and when you're with someone that you're attracted to and it's working, you feel fucking sexy, man. It's totally natural for your confidence to shoot through the roof. And you think, fuck, man, this is beautiful. This is a sexy moment. It needs to be documented and sent to the Smithsonian. But after that post-nut clarity and you rewatch that shit, it don't look the same as it feels. You immediately start wanting to do sit-ups and shit. You're looking at it, and you're thinking, what the, f- why are we starting with that? What the fuck is going on? What are we even doing? There are actually quite a few celebrity sex tapes out there, and I have absolutely seen them all. And if you think for one second that I'm not going to review a few of them right now, you don't understand who you're dealing with. I've had a couple of listeners tell me that they want me to do some movie reviews. So careful what you fucking wish for. Here are your fucking movie reviews. Next time you should probably be a little more specific. So I am going to start with Kim Kardashian's sex tape with Ray J. Kim is like today's Pamela Anderson. It's not that she doesn't do a fuck ton of stuff, but why are you famous? Uh, people want to fuck me. Like, how did you get famous? Just like Pamela. People wanted to fuck her, which is a great gig if you can get it. I'm not talking any shit. Like, good for her, man. She turned fuckability into a brand. What do I know about Ray J? Three things. First, he's a singer, but I can't name any of his songs. He is Brandy's brother, and the dude has a fucking Whopper with cheese in his pants. If you watch the sex tape, I swear to God, his dick has an elbow. He could fuck a tuba. The video itself is fine at best. You get to watch Ray J supersize Kim's meal for a couple of minutes while she says the most generic sexy shit you've ever heard. It's forgettable. One of my favorites is the Paris Hilton sex tape. So Paris Hilton is kind of a twat who takes herself a little too seriously, but I love what she did with her sex tape. So instead of suing and trying to block it like Pam and Tommy did, which just brought a ton more press to it, she flew into the curve and marketed that shit. Pam and Tommy's video was like, is $35 and, you know, here's her sex tape, you fucking pervert, starring Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Paris tried to go fancy with it. She called it a night. She called it a night in Paris. She threw a little class in there. The video itself, it was so boring. There was a part of the video where she's getting railed. Her cell phone rings and she makes him stop so she can answer it. I'm not bullshitting you. And let me tell you something. If I am giving someone the business and they stop me to answer a ringing phone, two things. One, I'm going to reevaluate my entire approach to my style in the sack. And two, if I'm filming, I'm going to immediately delete the video. Why did he not delete the video when he's, I guess, money? I don't, you know, I, I don't know. The award for the best moment in a celebrity sex tape of all time for me goes to China. If you remember China 
from the WWE Big Time Wrestling. She did a video with X-Pac from Degeneration X, which was her boyfriend at the time. I know I'm getting a little nerdy with the wrestling. But they also, so they called it an, A Night in China, which they tried to class it up as well. But there was zero class in this video. Gold star moment. There was a point where she takes this dude's dick, dips it into a red Solo cup filled with beer, and then puts it in her mouth. That should be sent to the Smithsonian. All right, music nerds. Volume up. It is time. I am going to spend a little bit talking about music, kind of like my musical origin story. And I don't really have a lot of notes or a script or, you know, a lot of punchlines in here. I'm just going to be freeballing it. I can't promise that it's going to be very linear or cohesive. So that just might be your tough shit. I do hope that you enjoy hearing about all of this, but this is mostly for me. I talk about music a lot. But I very rarely get a chance to do a deep dive into my music obsession in this way. But one thing that I will do is I'll, I'll just throw some random facts about whatever I'm bringing up that might pop into my head. I will put them in your ear holes. So you might learn some of the most useless knowledge you have ever gotten into your brain. I am not always self-indulgent, but when I am, I go all the way. So... With all due respect to my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, music is my first love. All of the most important moments and the most important people in my life have a song attached to them. The way that I talk about it a lot is it's like being able to uncork a bottle of emotions or a person that I miss or a time in my life and just drink it or smell it. That's what a song is. Even if it's just a couple of minutes, it takes me back to a place where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Or if you hate yourself as much as I do, it takes me to a place where nothing is beautiful and everything hurts. I definitely have a few of those depressing shits that do a number on me. I know I shouldn't listen to them, but when I'm sad, there is absolutely zero common sense into my brain. Uh, so I put on that I hate myself and I want to die playlist. And I somehow convince myself that if I get sad enough, I'll circle back around to happy. So far, it's worked zero times. But maybe next time, it actually will. So I'll let you guys know if it does work. You never know. There isn't a genre out there that I haven't dabbled in at least a little bit. I can give you anything from Ukrainian polka to 1960s spaghetti western classical film scores. Try me, bitch. And different genres bring out different parts of me, if that makes sense. Like, blues music weirdly makes me happy. Show tunes give me energy. When I listen to, like, Sinatra and Standards, I'm feeling particularly in love. I mostly sing like old school soul songs in the shower. If you ever listen to Because I Love You by Lenny Williams, it's a personal favorite of mine and I belt it out whenever I'm washing my hair. So just go ahead and picture that. Everywhere I go, everything I do, music is always on. It is always playing. So as a young kid, my dreadful mother listened to a lot of 80s hair metal. Her hair 
was so feathered when I was a child. If the owner of Aquanet happens to be listening, reach out to me because I will give you my mom's phone number so you can call her and personally thank her for your jacuzzi. When I was a kid, I remember seeing Panama and Jump by Van Halen on MTV. I remember, I, I know every song to on Slippery When Wet, Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. I listened to a lot of Michael Jackson. But when I started getting into like junior high and high school, I was listening to music that would just try to get people to like me, right? Like, what are you listening to? Yeah, so I'm going to listen to that because I just, you know, I felt like an outcast and I wanted to feel like I belong. Particularly, I wanted to get girls to like me. So I kind of fell ass backwards into like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and Janet Jackson. And I'm still a fan of all of them to this day. I went through every single stage of puberty watching Janet Jackson's music video for the song If. Holy shit. By the time that video was over, you guys, I was a fucking man. I watched it again a couple of days ago when I was like going over everything for this week's episode and it still holds up. And by it, I mean my penis. I think I went through puberty again this week watching that video. The story really starts when I was in my room with my boombox as a kid listening to probably, if you can believe it, Mariah Carey. My mom bursts in the door. She throws a copy of Back in Black by ACDC onto my bed. And she says, I don't want to hear you playing anything but that. I am tired of hearing this other shit. That is the only thing that you are going to be playing out of your boombox. I took out Mariah Carey or whatever it was, and I threw him back in black. And it scared the living shit out of me. The album starts with bells tolling. Uh, There was a point in my life, if you can believe it, where I wasn't always wearing black all the time. Surprises me might surprise you. Uh, When I started listening to ACDC, I didn't really like it. It was terrifying. Then I got to, I think, Shoot to Thrill, which was the second or third song on the album. And holy shit, man, there is something about that guitar that woke my whole body up and it changed my life. And I would listen to nothing but that fucking album for months and months and months and I would get other ACDC albums and I would listen to those and I just became obsessed with them. They were my first concert, the Ball Breaker Tour, Shoreline Amphitheater, Mountain View, California, August 15th, 1996. Around the same time, I started listening to Aerosmith. Their video for Crying was everything that rock and roll was to me in my head. There was guitars, there was tattoos, there was booze, there was drugs, and there was this like badass front man without a shirt on screaming a bunch of lyrics about fucking. That is rock and roll. That is what I needed to hear when I was a teenage kid, and it spoke to me for some crazy reason. Now, Columbia House, I owe so much to that crazy deal that Columbia House Records did in the 90s. Let me give you a little bit of a history lesson if you don't know. My mom would do this thing where you like you get this 
I don't know, this like letter, this piece of paper in the mail where you would mark off a bunch of CDs that you wanted Columbia House to send you. And they would send you like 12 CDs for a penny. But I guess after those 12 CDs, they would, you'd have to like give them a vertebrae for each CD that they would send you every month after that. But there was not one situation that would happen money-wise when I was a kid that my mom couldn't completely exploit. So she would get like the 12 CDs, cancel it somehow, and then get 12 news. I don't know what she did. Somehow we were broke, but she got a shit ton of CDs. And I would just raid her CD rack for a bunch of good stuff. There was a bunch of Pink Floyd in there. There was Bad Company. There was Creedence Clearwater. There was... Uh, man, I don't even remember. There was so much good stuff in there and I would start listening to that and that shit would be amazing. Let me tell you guys about Tower Records because this is also very important. For all you youngsters out there, you are not gonna believe this shit. Back then, music wasn't like on demand as it was now. And my grandmother, who, God bless her, she was amazing. She is very important to my musical upbringing for many reasons. One of which is she would take me to Tower Records when I would go and see her on the weekends. And she would buy me, you know, kind of whatever CDs that I wanted. She would say, as long as you're not doing drugs and as long as you're not on the streets, Matthew, I will buy you whatever CDs that you want. That was very sweet of her. Here is what was crazy. I would buy CDs that were one-hit wonders. They were the worst investments. So CDs were like $16.99 back then. And I SR71 is particularly the one band that I remember getting completely fucked over money-wise. So they had a song, SR71 had a song called Right Now, which was amazing. I love that song. I bought the CD. I listened to the rest of the album, and it was dog shit. I got so upset, and it sucked because there were a few CDs, especially way back then, that I would buy that were useless. Aside from that one three-minute song that I heard on the radio that I absolutely loved, the rest of the album sucked. And there was nothing I could really do. I mean, I could sell it back, but like I would buy it for 17 bucks and they would buy it back to me for three. Ugh. Fun fact, the first CD that I ever bought was Bring It On by Seal. Don't make fun of me. Don't judge me. The second CD that I ever bought was Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. So that I stand behind 100%. The only CDs that my grandmother wouldn't buy me were rap CDs. Uh, rap music was coming up, particularly like gangster rap, like the really hardcore stuff. Rap music was on my radar, of course, but every single person in my family told me not to listen to it. So naturally, what do you fucking think I did? It was hard to get a hold of rap CDs, though, because you had to have an adult to buy them for you. Now, that's where MTV came in for me. MTV was so important back then. And I know now you hear old people say like all the time, like, I remember when MTV played music videos. Okay, Gramps, let's get you some soup. But you have to realize 
That's how music was delivered to us back then. And back then, they played everything. Unless you bought one of those insanely overpriced CDs, you couldn't get music single song-wise right where you wanted it. And music videos were, they meant something back then. Those shits were fucking art. They were iconic. There were so many older songs where it's impossible to listen to them without thinking of the video. Thriller by Michael Jackson, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Bye 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 by NSYNC. Any of you ancient motherfuckers who are listening to me right now who know that video are doing the dance in your head. My personal favorite music video of all time was November Rain, still is, November Rain by Guns N' Roses. That shit is gorgeous. It is dramatic. I love Guns and I love November Rain. That video holds up, man. It is beautiful. It is dramatic. It has everything. Slash stands on a fucking piano and does a solo. How more rock and roll can you get? Meanwhile, I am not letting old people off the hook here. I'm not excusing the shit that they say. Music is on demand now. We don't need MTV. People need to stop bitching about the fact that there is no MTV. You can go on YouTube and you can bring up music videos for free anytime, anywhere with a computer that is in your pocket. It is fucking amazing. I love technology. The problem is it's pretty much destroyed music videos, which is a total pisser. It's kind of a double-edged sword, but part of it's a total pisser. Like, can you even name an iconic music video from the last 15 years where you can't like hear the song without picturing the video. There's a few, like there's a few really, really good ones. I will spot you single ladies, right? I will spot you single ladies. Off the top of my head, Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga, This Is America by Childish Gambino, that one Adele video where she sings about a breakup and she looks like she's about to cry, but she doesn't actually cry whatever that one was. Uh, I was an avid MTV and VH1 watcher when I was a kid. I started with Morning Buzz. I watched Behind the Music. Literally, you guys, fucking all of them. All of the Behind the Musics. I am not shitting you. I didn't get to do a lot of things in junior high school. I wasn't really asked to go to parties or anything like that. Fun fact, uh, the most watched Behind the Music is Shania Twain. The least watch behind the music is Bad Company, which does make a lot of sense because there's no really drama with Bad Company. They got together, they wrote some albums, they had some hits, and then they broke up and everybody went on to do stuff, but they still got rich. The behind the music was actually pretty boring. I watched Pop-Up Video. I watched the Top 10 Countdown on VH1. I watched the TRL with the Carson Daly Headbangers Ball. I ended my night with 120 minutes on the weekends. Okay, sorry guys, I got sidetracked. It will not be the last time that happens. So I got into ACDC and Aerosmith. Uh, I was made fun of a lot in junior high and high school for liking music that was way too old even back then. Uh, I had a friend of mine in school who I, you know, he and I were kind of inseparable even before this, but his name was Joe. And uh, when I talked to him and I told him, hey, man, like I've been listening to a lot of Aerosmith and ACDC, he was like, 
I like Aerosmith and ACDC, but I'm kind of more of a Beatles fan myself. And he ended up being absolutely pivotal to me learning about like older rock music. He had a bunch of tapes that he, I mean, I think he stole them from his dad, but we, I would stay at his house and we would eat shitty Taco Bell and we would listen to all of that shit. Uh, when we would go to his dad's house, his dad had a record player, which I'd never seen before. And there was like this wall of records, everything that I could think of and a, a ton of stuff that I couldn't think of. And Joe and I kind of did this trade where he got me into really, really old rock and I got him into just kind of old rock. He like the Beatles, the Who, the Doors, Queen, all these older bands, they would have never been on my radar without Joe. And he literally texted me like yesterday, we still talk about older music and older shit and it still excites me. Someone else that I'm not going to talk about very often uh, my dad, you will probably uh, hear me refer to him as Voldemort. He had a pretty heavy hand in music. I didn't see my dad very often. My parents were never really together when I was a kid, but he was kind of my portal to like 90s alt rock. So like I'm listening to a lot of like old classic stuff, but when I would go see him, I would spend a lot of time listening to kind of newer, really good 90s stuff, stuff that was actually playing on the radio and was popular at the time. So he and I would drive through San Francisco, which is where he lived, in his Porsche Boxster, and we would listen to Pearl Jam, which was his favorite band. Don't hate me. Judge me if you must. But I like Pearl Jam more than Nirvana. Sorry, you guys, it is hot take summer, and I'm going to give them to you. I'm not saying that Nirvana is not important. I think Kurt Cobain is extremely important when it comes to music, but pound for pound, I'm going to vote for Pearl Jam over Nirvana. Now, Voldemort listened to a lot of other good shit. I'm not going to take that away from him. He always had Shake Your Moneymaker by the Black Crows in rotation, which is one of the most underrated debut albums of all time but he also had some ultra whiny 90s shit that he claimed he hated but never took out a rotation he had the wallflowers blues traveler counting crows spin doctors gin blossoms they're all bands that i like but they are whiny as shit the reason that he is so important is I was over at his house one weekend and he had this Fender Stratocaster guitar and he busted it out and he showed me how to play the opening notes of Under the Bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And when he taught me that first C chord and I learned how to play those notes that I heard on the radio and on MTV, I went from a nonstop comic book reading virgin to a nonstop guitar playing virgin. My whole life changed and I dove headfirst into playing guitar. I asked him to borrow the guitar. I started playing every single thing that I could find. 
I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't do anything other than learn how to play that guitar based on shit that I heard on the radio. Back to my grandma, uh, who is a cooler grandma than yours is, and I'm about to show my work. As I was starting to kind of evolve music-wise and I was starting to wear more black, surprise, surprise, my grandma kind of saw the writing on the wall. She bought me tickets to take me to see Phantom of the Opera, which was her favorite musical, at the current theater in San Francisco. And I had realized that I'd never seen a music musical before. So I kind of told her that, and she said, well, we need to watch some musicals, Matthew Stephen. So she took me to a blockbuster video on a Friday night, which is a very old-fashioned thing to say. She cracked open a bottle of wine for herself, got really tipsy, and we watched a musical double feature. We started with a science fiction double feature, which was Rocky Horror. And to this day, Rocky Horror is my all-time favorite musical. My life changed after watching Rocky. I felt like a weirdo. Since I am a child, I felt like a black sheep. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I watched Rocky, and it was like this movie that was chock full of weirdos. It was like rock and roll meets glam meets sex, meets dancing and showing out in this over-the-top big way. My teenage years, actually, it kind of, they sucked a lot. But watching that movie and learning all those songs, it kind of made me feel like I was home. And I loved it. The second part of that double feature, (laughs) I feel so bad, was watching Grease. And this is going to be the world's worst Olivia Newton-John tribute. Truly R.I.P. Do not get me wrong. I am a huge fan of I Honestly Love You, which she did a couple of years before Grease. I love that song. Watching Grease, it was good. It was iconic, but it was a very far second place. It was kind of like having one of those amazing chicken sandwiches at Popeye's and then getting one of those value menu shits at McDonald's. Shit, I realize, you guys, that I have officially done my first food metaphor. Let me break for just a second and talk about how often I do food metaphors because apparently I am told that this is a problem. I just find that food metaphors are very easy to do because food is one of those things that we can all relate to. So for some reason, I am just really good at food metaphors. This is not the last one that you are going to hear. So keep your ears out for that. Back to the story. My grandmother, she didn't just buy me CDs. She didn't just show me musicals. She had me listen to some of her favorites when we would drive around getting into trouble and doing what we were doing on the weekends. Uh, I listened to a lot of Rolling Stones in her car. I listened to some Janis Joplin in her car. I listened to a ton of Bob Dylan, which is one of her favorites. She also got me a subscription to Rolling Stone. This is so important. Rolling Stone, which I subscribed to for 20 years. Now there's not really a need for it. It's all online. You can you know, find a way to read it for free. But back then when Rolling Stone would get sent to me every month, that was the way that I would keep up with the newer music coming out and music that was 
coming up they would uh they would have these really great interviews with artists and they would uh do album reviews and things like that and anything that got a good review from rolling stone i was all over it and there was so many different kinds of music going around for me and from so many different places i had the new stuff from rolling stone i had old stuff from my mom i had really old stuff from joe i had uh alt rock from my dad i had some old stuff from my grandmother every single thing that i was listening to i just i soaked it up like a sponge my grades were shitty because i was fist deep in all the music that i could get my hands on the one class where my grades were never shitty was jazz band I don't even know how I got into this class. I taught myself guitar. I knew nothing about music theory. If you know anything about guitar tablature, it's just a bunch of numbers on lines. It is the easiest thing to learn. But somehow, I literally don't remember. Somehow, I got into jazz band. I didn't get into jazz music. That comes way later. But we never really played jazz music in the jazz band class what we did play was fucking metal so throw up your horns motherfuckers this is where it gets heavy the teacher in that class kind of used it as a fuck around period and he let us fuck around too and there were a couple of dudes in this class who were actually kind of classically trained who knew their shit and one of them played some killer distortion metal guitar. One of them played awesome drums and one played bass, but nobody sang. This is where you might think, all right, he's going to step up. He's going to grab the mic. He's going to have his hero moment. And he's going to rock it. Absolutely fucking not. I had no idea about most of the songs that they were playing because they were all way too new for me. So I had my little guitar that wasn't even plugged in. I wasn't playing along with them. I sat in a corner really quiet and got made fun of, but I did watch them play. And I learned all the songs by watching them play. And this is where one of my other favorite bands in the world, Metallica, came in the picture. Oh, shit. I knew who they were, but I never really cared about them until I heard two separate guitar riffs that changed my life. I heard these three dudes play For Whom the Bell Tolls with no lyrics. I didn't even think that this song had lyrics. I thought that I didn't know it was Metallica. I just heard this super loud, super kick-ass song that I fell in love with, and I learned how to play along with it. I had a blast playing it, and the second one was king nothing which is off of metallica's load album load was released in 96 it was after they all cut their hair it was after they got super famous with the black album and everybody hated that album i am a diehard lifelong metallica fan load is my second favorite album and i won't be taking questions about it load is fucking awesome it may not be the metallica that you know from the 80s but that doesn't mean it was bad it was a little slower it was a little bluesier but the guitar work on it is awesome king nothing is still one of my favorite freaking rock songs of all time so i watched these dudes in my jazz band playing all this stuff and i just learned all of them i got my friend joe behind a drum kit which he loved we got another friend of ours to 
learn shit that we liked to join in as well. And boom, we formed ourselves a band. And that is where I'm going to pick up next week with this whole music story because there is a lot left to go. And I imagine that you have some shit to do. I know I have shit to do. And if I don't stop myself somewhere, I'm not going to fucking shut up. So tune in next week to hear about how my band would pack an Irish pub full of sevens of people that we begged to be there. And you can hear about the first time that music literally saved my life. So uh, I want to add something new to the palette and see how it flies. I want to ask all of you guys what I am going to I'm, I'm going to tentatively call it a gold star question. It's a question that hopefully kind of makes you think a little bit and get really excited to want to answer because I really want to hear the answers to this one because this first one that I want to do is a doozy question is. What are the last five songs that you want to hear before you die? I know this sounds macabre, but let's say you are going to buy the farm. You are in a warm and comfortable bed and you have a pick of the last five songs that you want to hear. I'm not talking about your five favorite songs. This is something different. But the last five that you want to hear before you go, and I want to hear these from you guys, okay? Please, please, please send me an email and let me know. Slide into my DMs on Instagram, Atomic Skull Podcast on Instagram, or email me, Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com. Next week, I will tell you guys what my five are. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for joining me. I really, really appreciate you going on this journey. It's a longer episode than I've done before, so hopefully you like it. For the song of the week... I have kind of a lot to choose from when I think about all of the music stuff that I've talked about, but I want to go back to Ukrainian polka. If you think I'm fucking with you about liking Ukrainian polka, I am absolutely not. This week's song is Start Wearing Purple by Gogol Bordello. It is an earworm. This song is one of the catchiest numbers I have ever heard in my life. You will be singing it in your head forever fun fact they gogo bordello started on maverick records which is the record company started by madonna madonna saw these dudes playing in eastern europe and immediately signed them that is awesome if i have been hounding you to listen to this podcast and you have finally bit the bullet thank you for making the time truly i hope you like it this is as grassroots as it gets. The whole thing is written, hosted, directed, produced, edited, and catered by yours truly. I am trying to grow my audience tirelessly. And the best way to do that is through you guys, through word of mouth. Please tell a couple of friends, talk it up around a water cooler, find a water cooler and just hang out there. There's free water. Hang there, talk to people. Tell them about the podcast. It would mean so, so much to me. Share this thing with someone. Invite them to reach out to me, to talk to me. My Instagram is at Atomic Skull Podcast. I have a Twitter that I am going to be trying to work on, uh, which is at Atomic Skull Pod. Please follow. Please subscribe. Rate me five stars. Tell anyone who will listen. I would be so, so grateful. It would mean so much to me, you guys. Thank you so much. I will see you next week. 
How are you doing?